0: We're gonna start today in Revelation chapter 20. If you have a New Spring Bible, that's page 1003. I wanna just thank you for your patience in this series. Um, Most of the messages that I brought to you are about eight hours of material in 40 minutes. So I know that it's felt so many times like you're drinking out of a fire hose and it's definitely gonna feel like that today because we're gonna begin in chapter 20 at the end of the millennial kingdom of Christ and we're gonna go right up to the new Jerusalem today. Uh, So it'll be chapters 20 all the way through the beginning of chapter 22. Let me just tell you before we start today, today's message is going to have a very heavy feel to it at times. At times it'll be ecstatic, but there's going to be a heavy feel to it. And I think one of the reasons why there's such a heavy feel is a lot of people misunderstand the grace of God. You know, Americans especially, if something is free, they don't associate much value with it. And because the greatest gift in the world is free and it is a gift, I think a lot of people have the idea that serving God is a trivial kind of thing. And the problem with that trivial approach to God is that it completely misunderstands grace. And so today, when we get into what we're going to get into, especially at the end of chapter 20, for those of us whose ears have been tuned to the American sensibilities, we're going to struggle with this. But always remember this. The judgment is not going to be in Washington, D.C. It's not going to be in Topeka. It's not going to be in Brussels. The judgment is going to be in heaven. And again, God is the one who is the judge, not social media, not how many likes God gets. I don't think God cares too much about that. So because of that today, I just want to give you a little warning before we go into it, that some of this message today is going to be pretty heavy, but it's also very important. So let's begin. Um, Last week, we talked about how the tribulation ended with the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, where Jesus rules on the earth for a thousand years. If you didn't get to watch that message, just that one statement, Jesus rules for a thousand years, could raise all kinds of questions. But I would encourage you to watch last week's message because I answered a lot of those. But that thousand-year kingdom of Christ on the earth, where he rules from the physical city of Jerusalem that exists right now, will be a time of peace and prosperity like the world will never, has, has never known. Jesus will be ruling. The Bible speaks of the desert blooming like the rose. Uh, the whole ecological system set right. The whole earth is magnificent, pretty much, I guess, like the Garden of Eden. Um, and so somebody could have a question today uh, and you would say, Mark, um, a thousand years is a long time. I mean, most of us will not make it to 90. A few of us will. Some of us may actually make it to 100. But the idea of living for a thousand years is, is kind of challenges our minds. So could be that someone will ask the question, where will I be during that thousand year period of time? It's a very good question to ask, and I hope we all ask that question today, because it totally depends on your relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the biggest question of your life. It's bigger than what you do for a living, who you marry, where you go to college. It's bigger than anything else, this question of your relationship with Jesus Christ, because it's going to determine where you and I are in this thousand year kingdom. Well, if you know Christ as your Savior, I grew up in a traditional Baptist church. I grew up with the term saved. That's what it means. Uh, Saved means that you've gone from being someone without Christ to having Jesus Christ in your life. Others of you use the term born again. Um, Some will use the term regenerated. At the end of the day, it's the same thing. It's just that God does a miracle in your life. You recognize that you are a broken, flawed sinner, who has no hope of heaven on your own, but you realize that Jesus pinch hit for you. He died for you on the cross to pay for your sins. Live the perfect life that you can't live. And when we understand that, and by faith we come to God through Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that God washes our sins away. And this is going to be salient in just a few moments. He writes our name in the census book of heaven. The Bible calls it the Lamb's book of life. And at that moment, we are God's child. Now, if you have had that experience in your life, where will you be in that thousand year period of time? You will be in your new body. I loved listening to Deb sing that song, there's a leak in this old building and my soul has got to move. If you're 20 years old, you're like, my building doesn't have any leaks. I got it, I got it. But like I've told you before, wait till you see what time and gravity do to that body, okay? You know, I've, I'm a little thin, my shingles are a little thin on the roof. And I won't be here preaching a lot during the month of August because I have to have, and I'm just being real with you. I hate to admit this. How did I get to this age? Cataract surgery on both eyes. And, and actually, they're going to have to correct something that happened when I was 12 years old. I got hit in the eye with a golf club by accident. And, and I just want you to know that. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be great to be in our new bodies, but let me just tell you something. You know what? I'm grateful for the new body. I'm really looking forward to the new mind. Um, so, and here's what the Bible says, and this is throughout Scripture. Scripture tells us that if you're a Christ follower in that thousand-year period, you will be ruling and reigning, and I think perhaps the best term to use today, you'd be administrating with Jesus Christ. Now, somebody could say, Mark, I don't get that, because if in the thousand-year kingdom... Everybody's a believer. Who are we going to rule and reign? Are we going to take terms ruling each other? No, it's not like that at all. When Jesus returns at the end of the seven-year tribulation at Armageddon, and we talked about that, there will be many tribulation believers who will live into the kingdom in their earthly bodies. This is a very important concept to grab, or else we'll have a hard time understanding the millennial kingdom. One more time, let me just say this: there will be believers. Who live through the tribulation and the return of Christ at Armageddon, and they will move it, they will live into the kingdom that Jesus begins at that time. Now, here's where things get a little complicated. You say, Mark, that's complicated enough already, but yeah, it's gonna get a little more complicated, but hang with us because it'll explain so many things. Those believers during the millennium are now, now listen to the juxtaposition of these two concepts. Number one, they're gonna live on an earth where the curse has been lifted, where where Jesus is reigning. But secondly, they're going to still be in the bodies that they inherited from Adam. So think about that. One more time, think about that juxtaposition. They're gonna still be in their Adamic bodies, but they're going to be able to live for thousands of years because they're in an earth where the curse is lifted, Jesus reigns, And I'm sure there are going to be many, many ecological changes. In fact, if we go back to the beginning of time and we think about how Adam and Eve sinned, and we think about the next uh, couple thousand years after that, because the earth was still, although under the curse, still carried a lot of the characteristics of its original creation. When you go back and you look at some of the characters in the Old Testament, they were living seven, eight hundred, nine hundred, a thousand, almost a thousand years. So, hear this. These believers who will live through the tribulation into the kingdom will have children. And you can imagine, you can only imagine how procreative these people are going to be. It's a good thing that the whole earth is going to be inhabitable because during the thousand-year kingdom of Christ, there will be a population explosion like the world has never seen before, and the population will rise to unimaginable numbers. I want you to think about something. This will maybe help you understand that. In all the thousand years of recorded history, do you know the year which the world reached one billion in in population? How long did it take the earth, the world, to reach one billion in population? Didn't happen till the year 1830. We did not have two billion people on the planet till 1930. We had three billion people on the planet by 1960. Today we have 8.1 billion people on the earth. Now think about this. The earth's population went from 1 billion to 8.1 billion in 200 years. Now, you can only imagine how the world's population will explode during the millennial kingdom with everyone living in a world that has been restructured, restored by Jesus Christ. That's where ruling and reigning come in because Jesus will assign you to help him build and organize his administration. Now, this is a beautiful thought to me. You know, in all of our services here, and we have four services, so I'm guessing we probably have around six and a half, seven thousand people who are here. I have this fantasy about being able to listen to every person who is a New Springer talk about how they are gifted because you are created by God in his image to be creative. You're all creative. And it's amazing to me. I just love listening to how God gifts each one of us. Some of us are really good with building. Some of us are good in artistry. Others of us are good musically. Still others are good at leading people. You have a gift for leadership. Others are good at administration. I really believe from what I see in the scripture that you will still have these spiritual gifts into the kingdom to help Jesus administrate this marvelous kingdom. The Bible says the callings and the gifts of God are without repentance. That means that God doesn't change his mind when the Holy Spirit gives us a gift. And so I have this fantasy about thinking about all the wonderful things that New Springers are going to do during this kingdom of Jesus Christ to help him build and establish this massive kingdom. Now, that may sound like something that's bizarre. If you grew up in church, you're like, well, wait a minute, Mark, that's kind of a new concept to me. And that's a shame. And the fault lies at guys like me who don't preach the Bible. We, you know, preachers tend to hop around cherry pick and kind of go over the same, same territory all the time. The fact of the matter is, this concept of us ruling and reigning with Christ saturates the Bible, but it especially saturates the four gospels where Jesus is talking, because Jesus talked about this all the time. You remember all those parables where managers are entrusted with resources and then evaluated as to how they handle those resources, and then they're rewarded accordingly? All of those parables have to do with this, what I'm talking about right now. It's amazing we don't talk about this more in church. Let me give you an example. Um, There were a couple of guys who were left to manage something and they were giving an account. Listen to the language of Jesus. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will now be governor of 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. You hear that? I mean, Jesus is saying over and over and over that what we're doing in the kingdom Depends a lot upon how we've prepared ourselves for that moment in this life. We really do need to talk about that more. Imagine working with Jesus. You know, I have to lead a lot of staff meetings. I cannot wait to be in a staff meeting that Jesus leads. First of all, be nice to be in a meeting somebody else leads. But just imagine being in a staff meeting with Jesus where Jesus is assigning, you know, you do this and you do this. And and the great thing, somebody could say, Mark, I thought when we get to heaven, I was just gonna lie on a hammock and rest. Now, first of all, being ADD, I don't know if I'll still have that in heaven. That would be like sending me to, to punishment. I mean, and here's the good thing. You say, Mark, I'm tired. Remember this, you're going to have a new body, you're going to have a new mind, and it's going to be so cool working with Jesus. Now, if you've received Jesus, that's where you'll be for those thousand years. And who knows how that's going to be unpacked. I'm, I'm giving you just very surface information. When we get there, I think we're going to see, you're going to get there and you're going to say, man, Mark didn't even begin to touch this subject of how wonderful it is to work with Jesus for these thousand years. Now, what about people who haven't accepted Jesus? And this is where today's talk goes to a dark place. And I'm the most optimistic, positive person in the world. Everything in me doesn't want to go here, but the Bible says it, I don't have any choice. What will happen to a person who has never accepted Jesus Christ in those thousand years? Well, the Bible's very clear on this. Jesus himself was very clear that if a person does not know Jesus Christ, when that person dies, their body goes to the ground, but their soul goes to a place that we call Hades. If you want to read more about this, you can read in Luke chapter 16, because Jesus talked about a guy who had no interest in anybody else. He was only in it for himself. He's a typical American. And he died, and the Bible says, in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he asked Abraham to touch the tip of his finger in water and touch it to his tongue because he said he was tormented in the flame. That's Jesus' story. That's not some wild-eyed prophet from the Old Testament. Not that not there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying this is Jesus. So what happens, though, in regard to resurrection? The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20, verse 5, the rest of the dead, these would be unbelievers, did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. So during that thousand years, those who have refused to accept Jesus Christ are in Hades. They're in a soulish condition, but they have not yet received their eternal bodies. That's not the worst of it, though, because at the end of that thousand years is what the Bible calls the Great White Throne Judgment. Now, what the Great White Throne Judgment is, is a trial through which every person who has rejected Jesus is going to be judged for their sins. And I want to make the point very clear. The Bible's clear on this. In fact, you'll you'll have it before you in just a moment, Revelation 20. Every person who stands in line at the great white throne judgment is going to hell for eternity. You and I will not be there because our sin was judged on the cross when Jesus died for our sins. The Bible tells us God judged our sins in Christ because we received what he did for us. And that's available to anybody. And so when we stand before God, we're going to be there for an awards ceremony. But at the great white throne judgment, these are people that flip God off and say, God, we're just not interested in your plan. We've got our own plan. It doesn't make sense to us. There are hypocrites in the church. There's a lot of belief systems. How did anybody know what was right? All that junk that people say, that's what will put them in this line. So what will be the nature of the great white throne judgment? Look at Revelation 20, if you have it open now, on page 1003, if you have a New Spring Bible. And John is writing through the prophetic lens of, the telescopic lens of prophecy. He said, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence. I saw the dead, both great and small, both presidents and street people standing before God's throne and the books were open, file that away, including, and NIV says, another book was open, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead. All were judged, it's like the Bible just keeps repeating this so that we don't miss it, according to their deeds, then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This has got to be the longest line in all of history. Because when Jesus talked about those going to heaven, he spoke of them in Matthew 7 as being on a narrow road. And he said in verse 13, the highway to hell is broad and its gates are, its gate is wide for the many who go that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. So I know from the words of Jesus, there are more going to hell than going to heaven. So what is this trial? What is this judgment? Well, it is a trial. But as I've said a moment ago, everybody in this line is guilty. You know, there are two judgments, and I've already referred to one for believers. The judgment that we're going to go through is during the seven-year tribulation while we're in heaven. It's an award ceremony. But in this judgment, everyone is lost and the outcome is already determined. Now I gotta tell you, it is hard for me to even think about this because I hate to wait when there's an outcome that's unpleasant and I don't know if it's gonna happen or not. The first time I ever uh, felt this was when I was in the fourth grade. I only got sent to the principal's office two times in my 12 years of public school. Both times it was in the fourth grade and I wasn't guilty, no. (laughs) I was too. Uh, and, and, and how it happened, in a in, in, in little elementary school where I was in Fort Worth, um, it was the fall, and the acorns had fallen off the trees, and there were about 25 of us boys who thought it would be a great thing to play army and use these acorns for bullets. And so we were all throwing on each other, and a fifth grade teacher came along and arrested us all <laughs> and took us down to Mr. Roten's office. Mr. Roten was a no-nonsense principal. He was an old school guy. And he deliberately delayed coming in to talk to us for about 30, 35 minutes. And I got to tell you, that was like the longest 35 minutes of my life because I didn't know what he's going to do to us. Mr. Roten believed in corporal punishment. Hey, when I was in kindergarten, before I got into elementary school, I used to hear those, you know, third fourth, fifth grade boys at Forest Hill talk about how Mr. Roten had an electric paddle Now, an electric paddle, it was a fiberglass paddle with holes drilled into it to intensify the effect. But I could just imagine when I was in kindergarten, him plugging it in. You know, I didn't know what that thing was. (laughs) But all that time I was waiting, there was something else that was on my mind because like I had an old school principal, I had an old school mama. And in my house, if you got in trouble in school, you were in real trouble when you got home. So I wasn't so much worried about Mr. Roten's electric paddle as I was my mother's nuclear switch. (laughs) But I remember having that feeling for the first time of sitting there and not knowing what the outcome was going to be. When you get older, there are a lot of other moments like that. When you're waiting for the report from a biopsy, when you're waiting to find out if you're among the ones who are going to be laid off. I mean, there is that moment where the outcome is hanging in the balance and you're having to wait and you don't know which way it's going to go. But the thing that breaks my heart about this line is everybody in this line knows how this is going to go. Because as they stand in that line, they watch one after the other in front of them. They, look, they listen as they hear the words of Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they see them cast off into hell. Now somebody could say, well, Mark, what's the point of this judgment? If everybody here, the outcome is already determined, what is the point of the trial? Well, hell is an awful thing. And people will say then, I think what people say now, and that is, I don't deserve this. And that is why you read at least twice that there are books and that the books were open and the people who are judged are judged out of the books that were open because on every human being, God keeps a record of everything that person has done. In fact, Jesus talked about the specificity of it when he said that people will give an account for for every idle word. I, I can't believe how people who are Christians today take God's name in vain. They take, they take the name of the God of the universe. Oh my God, you know, where does that come from? Can't we just say I'm surprised? Why do we have to take God's name in vain? I hear people who claim to be Christians saying holy and then they'll use a word for excrement. Holy means that which is like God. And somebody will say, well, I don't mean anything by it. Jesus said, that's the problem. Every idle word. The Bible tells us the secrets will come out. The Bible says the thoughts and intents of the heart in Hebrews chapter 4. It'll all be there. You know, you think about (laughs) If you've lived any length of time, most of us can't even remember most of the stuff we've done. Most of us can't remember the words that we said. Um, My wife and I decided we were going to clean out our uh, storage unit. I don't know if any of you guys have a storage unit or not, but storage units are stuff that it's where you put stuff and you just don't even want to look at what's in there. Like, You know, every time we moved, we would just put more stuff in the storage unit. It kind of filled up and we said, there was enough of that. We don't need to pay for this thing. So we wound up throwing away about 85% of it. But in the back, I found this little box that was sealed up, and I thought, "Well, I wonder what's in that box." So I, I cut the tape and I opened it up, and I realized these were sermon cassettes. Now that gives away my age, don't it? <laughs> sermon cassettes that I preached at the church I came from. I came here in 1985. I was this other church, and I was in my early twenties. And they, the, when I had, to, when, when I left the church where I was, they gave me all the cassette tapes. I guess they didn't want them anymore. But, well, you know, I'm sure they said, oh, we want you to have these. They just probably didn't want to store them. And so here I am, I'm, you know, gosh, I'm, I hate to admit this, I'll be 67 years old in a few weeks. And, and I came here when I was 28, so these messages are like in my early 20s. And I thought, I wonder what I sounded like in my early 20s. And I was disappointed because I sound a lot like I do today. And I thought, well, I haven't improved much. <laughs> But there were some cool things in there. My dad I was I think I was 25. It was a week no, it was a week I, was, I just turned 25. It was the week before Jonathan's birth, before Jonathan was born. And it was my dad's 30th anniversary at his church and I guess I had been asked to speak bring the sermon for my dad's 30th anniversary. I couldn't even remember that I did it. I couldn't remember what I said. But you know, here's the thing. For the person who winds up at the great white throne judgment, it'll all be there. Things we wanted to forget, things we have forgotten. The Bible says every deed, every act, every word, every attitude, every secret will come out. Why? For the very reason I talked about a moment ago. There will be people who say, I don't deserve this. And the Lord will say, all right, bring out the books and let's look. And there's the evidence. Now, someone at that judgment will say, wait a minute, I attended New Spring Church and I heard Mark Hoover talk about how there's a way to get to heaven. He talked about how you could pray to receive Christ. Isn't there mercy? Isn't there a way you can go to heaven without being perfect? And, 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 and someone will say, well, perhaps, perhaps I qualify for that. Did you read a moment ago, the Bible said the books were open and then another book was brought out? You know what's in that book? That book is called The Lamb's Book of Life all the names of everybody who's ever prayed to receive Jesus Christ. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is written in heaven in the census book of heaven. The disciples were sent out by Jesus one time to, and he gave them power to heal sick people and also power to cast out demons. And the disciples came back and they were high-fiving each other because they were able to cast out spirits. You know what Jesus said to them? He said, don't rejoice if the demons are subject to you. What did he say? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so there will be some with the great white throne who will say, well, wait a minute. You know, um, I went to church, so maybe I qualified for that other way to go to heaven. And so the Lord will say, well, uh, let's get the Lamb's book of life book out. And the pages will be turned. And is his name there? No, we don't find it. And I hear that person right before the sentence is passed say, God, I thought you were a merciful, loving God. And God will say, I tried to be. I tried to be. I put my son on a cross to die for you. I, I made it so that anybody could be saved. I made it to where it was a free gift. And instead of receiving the free gift, you flipped me off. And you gave all kinds of silly excuses that sounded good to the people that you were hanging with. But God says they have no equity in heaven. It is hard for me to preach this. Nothing in my being wants to, but imagine if a person, God forbid, from our services, from the 7,000 people who will attend this weekend, for the uncounted thousands who will listen to this message now around the world, Imagine I preached the book of Revelation and I came to Revelation chapter 20 and I said, This would be very unpopular to preach in a mega church, so I'm going to leave this out. And imagine someone found himself or herself at this great white throne. Who would then turn and look at me and say, Mark Hoover, I sat in the service. I downloaded the service. I watched on television the service. You said you were going to preach through revelation, but you skipped this because you wanted to make me feel good. As much as I don't want to preach this, I don't want that even more. Because the Bible tells me this in the book of Ezekiel that your blood will be on my hands. I say that today because somebody can walk out of here and say, I just don't like that sermon. I don't like that church's focus. You got to understand that is so, I hate to say this, that is so immaterial. Someone listening to me today said, Mark, what should I do? I got one word for you, it's not from me, it's from Jesus. He said, when you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle, settle your differences quickly. You know, there are only three reasons why people don't settle in a court case. Number one, they don't settle if they're innocent, but we know that's not the case here. There are two other reasons why people don't settle. They don't settle because they're gonna take their chances with the court. This is not a court to take your chances with. In human courts, judges and juries, they don't know what they don't know. But in this court, God will know everything. And the other reason why people don't settle is they're just stubborn. They're just going to do what they're going to do no matter what. Jesus said, listen, when when you know you're guilty, when you know you're headed for this, don't wait till you get to that trial. Settle out of court. God has made a way for us to settle out of court. You see, Jesus has already paid the paid he's done the he's paid for your crimes he's paid for your sins and and anyone who will turn and recognize that they're a sinner anyone will come who will turn and come to christ you can be forgiven of your sins your sins can be washed away but here is the thing you do have to be honest about your sin one of the most terrifying things when i think about the great white throne judgment in 2023 america we live in a world where nothing is a sin anymore in fact we live in a world where what the bible calls sin is now celebrated For a person to say that sin is not sin puts them in a spot where they are unsavable. Because God will forgive you of any sin. What he will not do is he will not deal with anyone who flips God off with both hands and says, God, what you says is wrong. In other words, a person who says, God, what you say is sending me to hell is not sending me to hell. In fact, it makes me righteous. And that's one of the great fears I have about this this era. And so today, if you're not sure that you're going to heaven, settle out of court. I mean, invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. You say, Mark, I'm a sinner. Put her there. We all are. You say, Mark, I've done terrible things. We've all done terrible things. Come now to Jesus. Let Jesus forgive you. Let his blood wash away your sins. Let God write your name in heaven. Now, how much time do I have? Not much. And it is now time for the second half of this message. Isn't that scary? <laughs> All right, the great white throne's over. What happens next? Okay, tribulation's over. The thousand-year kingdom is over. The judgment's taken place. What happens next is what theologians call the eternal state. What that simply means is we're gonna live forever with God with there no longer being anybody anywhere in God's existence uh, in his presence who are unbelievers. So there's so much here and and I don't have as much time as I'd like to cover this. Perhaps we'll get into it in the last message on Revelation next week. I think we will. But let's just look at Revelation 21 for a few moments and then we'll be through. Look at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. What is New Jerusalem? The New Jerusalem is the capital city of heaven. Well, here's what you need to do to understand this. First of all, you need to get any other idea from any city out of your mind. I've lived in three cities. Wichita's the smallest place I've ever lived. I lived in Fort Worth, Texas. My first church was in Houston and moved here in 1985. None of these cities are even remotely close to what we're reading about with the New Jerusalem. Let's talk first of all about the size of the city. Its length, width, and height were each 1,400 miles. And the walls, 216 feet thick. Now, if you think about the dimensions that the Bible gives us, it it can only be one of two shapes. All you math experts out there, you've already figured this out. It can either be a cube or it can be a pyramid because the base is 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. Randy Alcorn, in his great book, he said that if you can imagine a city that would go from Canada to Mexico, from the Appalachian Mountains to California, you have some idea of the base of the New Jerusalem. And there would be room, he said, for 600,000 stories. No wonder Jesus said, there's more than enough room in my father's house. And then the elegance of it is amazing. The Bible says it's shown with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper. Jasper there refers to a diamond, as clear as crystal. Verse 19, the wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones, and you can read them. Now, verse 21, the 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. Now, I don't want to go off too far in this, but I do think it's interesting that all the gates of heaven are a single pearl. How is a pearl formed? Through suffering. Are the gates of heaven pearl? So that every time we go in inside and outside of those gates in the New Jerusalem, we'll remember that we're there because someone suffered to make it possible for us to go. But here's the best part, and I'm finished. Revelation 21 verse three, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. Now remember during the millennium, Jesus is ruling on the throne. Now he's God, but now we're talking about God, the father here. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And I love this sentence here. There's no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. I remember when I was a young preacher, I was waxing eloquent on this verse one day, and I said, there won't be any more death. There won't be any funeral directors. There won't be. There was a funeral director in the church. He said, pastor, I'm saved. I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> be using spiritual giftedness for different things in those days. But now look at this. All these things, what? Death, suffering, sorrow, crying. All these things are gone forever, and. From a guy who doesn't like antiques, I love verse five. Look, Jesus said, I'm making everything new. Verse, okay, let's move into chapter 22. No longer will there be curse on anything for the throne of God and the lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need for the lamps of the sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. My time is gone, I'll pick this up next week the New Jerusalem in a message called signing off but given the material that we've covered today you owe it to yourself to ask yourself the question will I be there You I know there's going to be pushback I mean I was born at night I really was but not last night And I've heard the pushback in all the years I've been preaching. Someone will say, I just cannot make this work in my mind. How God could send someone to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves. As C.S. Lewis said, there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are those who say to God, your will be done. And those whom God says to people, your will be done. But still someone could say, okay, Mark, that's, that's semantics. How can, how can the same God be a person who would love me enough to send my son, his son to die for me and yet at the same time sit on the great white throne? It's a great question. In the uh, 38 years I've been at New Spring, I've had some very close friends in our congregation. One of the closest friends I had was a man named Paul Clark. He's in heaven now. Paul, I think at one time, was the longest serving judge in Sedgwick County. And because of his character and his acumen, he was assigned the toughest cases. I never will forget the day when Paul called me on the phone and said, Pastor, would you pray for me? I've been assigned the Carr Brothers trial. But so many days we would go to lunch together. Sometimes we would get in his truck and just drive to some little town in Kansas. But when I first got to know Paul, I think they came to New Spring in 1994, he and Alice. He asked me if I would come to the courthouse and he could take me to lunch. And it was a very cold Kansas day. I remember because I was covered with overcoats and had gloves on. And I went up to his chambers, I went up to his office and secretary saw me and she said, Paul, our Judge Clark is finishing a trial right now. She said, um, and I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just sit out here in his office and wait for him. No, she said, he wants to know when you get here. She said, it won't hurt. will not you just slip in the back of his courtroom? He'll see you. And so I did. I went into the back of the courtroom, sat on the back bench, and I listened to what was going on. And there was a trial for two men, I think both, who had committed robbery. And I looked at the fear of their faces because it was the end of the trial just as Paul was declaring them to be guilty. And then he looked up from the bench and he saw me in the back. And he said, I have a personal matter to attend to. He said, we'll reconvene at two o'clock today and I'll render sentence. I knew that personal matter that he had was me. And I looked at the fear on the faces of those defendants and I thought, I am so glad I am meeting Paul as a friend. (laughs) And not someone in his courtroom. How could he be the same person who could take a friend to lunch and sit on the bench and sentence someone to prison? Paul wasn't two people, he was a friend And he was a judge. You will either meet Jesus as his close friend or you will meet him as the judge who will rake through everything you've ever done, ever thought, every word you've ever said. Please, please, settle. Settle now. Come now. Turn yourself in. Admit to God that you're a sinner. Quit flipping God off by telling him things he says are sin and not sins. You can say, well, I don't know why New Spring Church takes that position. Forget about New Spring Church. You're not going to stand in judgment here. You'll stand in judgment before God. Come to Jesus. He died for you. He's already paid for your sins. He rose from the grave and the Bible says whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. That means New Jerusalem. Well, I'm weighing over time. Would you just bow your head with me, please? Now, this is if you're in South Auditorium, North Auditorium, if you're watching online unless you're driving, if you're watching on television, if you want to know for sure that your name is written in the book of life, come now. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in a prayer that calls, but the important thing is not so much the words as what you mean in your heart. So if you'd like for me to lead you in that prayer, I'll do that and I'll pray it slowly so you can decide if you want to say these things to God. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Your books will show so many things that I've done wrong. I know that. I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm broken, and I can't fix myself. I am turning myself in. I come today to settle out of court. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he arose from the grave. And today, I choose Jesus to be my Savior. And I choose him to be my king. Change me from the inside out. And give me the strength to live for you. I take you at your word that you just saved me. And I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I have a gift box I want to give you. Now, if you're watching online or on television, all you have to do is text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, just that word to 97,000. Follow the steps and I'll send this to you. There's a New Spring Bible and there's a book that I wrote called My New Walk with God that talks about the questions you may have. And you can read it in 30 minutes. There's some other things. So that's the case if you're watching online or television. If you're here in the house, anywhere on campus, you can get this with you right now and take it home with you. All you have to do is text PRAY to 97000, go to any info center. You'll recognize them by the blue and white color and just say, I pray with Mark. You say, Mark, I don't have my smartphone. Just go back and say, I pray with Mark. They won't hassle you, bother you. They just wanna give this to you. Thank you for being here for the next to the last message. We'll finish this up next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services.